Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Donald B. Carroll, and we'll be talking about his new book, The Spirit of Light Cubit, The Measure of Humanity in Spirit. This is about an incredible and elegant link from the past, a global link that is as integral to our journey today as it was over thousands of years ago. It provides compelling evidence of a lost civilization that had contacts over at least three continents thousands of years before it was even thought possible. It's a link through an ancient unit of measurement. This is a journey that reunifies science and spirit in humanity's search and our personal searches of purpose and ultimate destination in life and in the cosmos. The indication for uh, this shared instant message is found in the unit of measurement that is demonstrated to be used in the construction of their sacred sites. For more information, you can visit Donald's website, which is donaldbcarroll.blogspot.com. That's Donald B and Carol C with two R's and two L's, C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot blogspot.com. So with that, I'd like to welcome Don to the show. Good day, sir. Good good day, Robert. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Um, I always love learning um, new things, and, and your uh, book has really given me a lot to think about, as well as uh, references. Um, you know, in your book, you have some really good references for people who want to kind of do some further um, looking into into the topic, but. I guess we'll have to start with, um, of course, the title of the book is The Spirit of Light Cubit. So, um, and you spend a lot of time in the book talking about what a cubit is and what light cubit is in particular, but can you give us kind of an overall umbrella idea of what it is so the listeners can get an idea of the topic? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. It actually the title, "The Spirit of Light Cubit," is a translation from the Egyptian uh, hieroglyphs of the uh, a unit of measurement they had, the Akume, which translates as "Spirit of Light Cubit" or "Spirit of Light Measurement." And the reason it's important, I find it important, and wrote a book about it, is that, as you pointed out, this unit of measurement, uh, I found over actually now five different cultures, over four different continents, and across an ocean. And when you say find that same kind of unit of measurement in different cultures and across oceans, archaeologists will tell you that that's very strong evidence that there was some kind of contact. And so we're talking about thousands of years ago, a contact uh, over oceans and continents. So uh, that, and that, that's the basis of it. There's much more to it, but as it, it's a measure of, uh, of, uh, 
uh, a unit of measurement. It's interesting. It's it's not that Indiana Jones sexy uh, lost temple, but <laughs> you know, but it, it it's right. incredibly actually more adventuresome and and exciting, and I've found in significant. Yeah, well, I found I I found it interesting now. The what uh, the actual measurement of a cubit is it can it has varied or can vary. Um, you know, you know there's different um, interpretations of cubit. You know, so now, first of all, if anyone were to, anyone were to look up the word cubit, you know, they would talk about it as being an ancient form of measurement, um, and, and, and then they talk about um, the forearm, you know, as, as a, a measurement, um, as, as part, you know, part of that. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, the variety Okay. Does that make any sense? Uh, sure. Yeah. The uh, the yeah the history of that is is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, ancient unit of measurements and actually units of measurements we still use today were divide were were derived from body proportions. Uh, and cubit is a Latin term uh, meaning elbow, as you were pointing out. And so cubit was kind of a catch-all term uh, for measurements. From uh, signifying from fingertip to elbow, but it, again, it's a catch-all. It's not what the cultures call them. There are Babylonian cubits, Hebrew cubits, Egyptian cubits that will range anywhere from 15 to 28 inches. It's really a term that was used later on. Again, a Latin term, not by the mm -hmm. cultures that actually had the those measurements. Yeah, yeah. So I, anyway, I, found, I found that interesting. Um, so now, in relation to cubit and measurement, um, a pendulum kind of pops in as a um, as a confirming source. So tell us about a role that a pendulum would play play with this. Well, in that aspect of it, you know, as I said, these units of measurement uh, and finding this ancient unit of measurement, which was uh, 27 and a half inches in length, and finding it used in, again, five different cultures, four continents, uh, stuff, it was like, my gosh, here's a, a, a unit of measurement that's close, you know, probably 20,000 years old. And it's all over the world, and you can document it, and it's like an international unit of measure, you know, like the meter today, and which made me think, well, where did the meter come from? And that's where the pendulum came came in. Uh, just very briefly, Ken Adler wrote a great book on the history of the meter, uh, of how it got created. It took over 200 years of, to get an agreement, but initially when it was they were looking to create a modern unit of international measurement to use around the world like this ancient one the countries had agreed upon and this was england and and uh, germany and france and the new united states because this was 11 late 1700s they all had uh, agreed upon uh, to use the, a pendulum. And the important reason for the use of the pendulum, 
at the time is as in the, interestingly enough, the pendulum clock. Uh, at that time and until the 1920s, the most accurate clocks in the world were your pendulum clocks. You know, what picture your grandfather mm -hmm. clock with it with its yeah, swinging pendulum back and forth. And how they determined that uh, was what they called a seconds pendulum. Just very simply for the pendulum to swing from one side and swing back to the other side, one period took two seconds. So it made it great. That made for mechanical clocks was it was a great mechanism to make again until the 1920s most uh, accurate clocks in the world and so th that length was over 39 just a little over 39 inches uh, so i was like well gee this is 27 and a half inches but then researching it that meter pendulum needs to swing 15 degrees to a side or less so i was very fortunate because thankfully uh, a lot of your universities and colleges uh, will allow you to get online into their physics labs and their and their math labs, and they have programs, you know, software programs to determine pendulum mm -hmm. swings at different lengths and you know and different angles swing. And it got very interesting because 27 and a half inches, this unit of measurement, if the swing starts at 90 degrees, which would be horizontal picture the pendulum just hanging down look at your grandfather clock kind of thing but if you then raise it to one side 90 degrees which would be that perpendicular horizontal you get a perfect two seconds pendulum so just like how the modern uh, meter was first looked to be created this ancient meter uh, this ancient international unit of measurement at 27 half inches at 90 degrees, which was very significant because the ancient cultures, the horizon was so, so important in their spiritual concept and in, in studying astronomy and in many cases because the horizon uh, was the place where heaven and earth uh, came together. When you looked out at the horizon, that's where the earth and sky touched. So symbolically, where that's where heaven and earth came together and this is where this measurement's used at so many sites. And I mean, even in Egypt, the horizon, the symbol for the horizon, the Akhet, was also not only depicted the horizon, but it was known as the place of glorification, bringing heaven and earth together. That symbolic concept was that important to them. Yeah, very much. Well, now, um, in your book, you, you, you know, you reference um, – sacred sculptures, and again, you know, what you just talked about, connecting heaven and earth. And there are four different areas, uh, geographic or time areas, um, that you talk about. And I kind of like to talk maybe a little bit of each because um, I think it's this kind of adds to the um, the idea that it that it's, uh, took place over a wide geographic area and, and uh, very difficult in certain periods of time. So um, you mentioned Egypt. Now, um, one of the things, would you tell the story about um, the, the 27 and a half inch, um, you know, recognition, the thing that you found um, in a, a picture in the 
um, MMA, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, um, there was a, a certain staff that you found. So can you tell the story about that? You know, because to me, you know, that when I looked at the picture in your book of, you know, of that measurement tool, um, I wouldn't have even, wouldn't have even looked at it. Wouldn't even notice it there unless, you know, <laughs> I just read about it <laughs> in your book, you know. So tell, tell that story because I think, you know, this is, that's one of those things that I think it was like you were just meant to make that connection. Uh, yeah, I would absolutely. I would say in this research, and this is over at least 17 years of, of research and writing about it and digging further into it, uh, it, it. There were a lot of there have been a lot of synchronicities that I kind of shake my head at. But yes, I had found you know I would read about this Egyptian you know unit of measurement, ancient Egyptian unit of measurement. Of 27 and a half inches, sometimes called the Akume, the Spirit of Light, and it you know has a couple other names. But uh, at any rate, I was reading about it, and like I said, you know, it's researching ancient measurements. You know, isn't the sexy stuff that gets a lot of press? You really <laughs> have to dig. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's the lost temples. You know, it's the newfound pyramids. It's the treasures. You know, this. Uh, uh-huh. But this is so important. But then having to really, you really have to dig in archives, you know, in the because there's mm-hmm. a ton of research being done. But you have to dig in in the different archives to find about measurements. And it was in one uh, an, uh, a, 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 a gentleman, Dr. Livio Staccini, who studied ancient measurements, ancient metrology, that mentioned also this measurement and said something about the Metropolitan Museum of New York that there was a specimen there. So I was like, you've got to be kidding me because this is, you know, to, to find it. I mean, I, I had found, you know, the archeologists and anthropologists who talked, you know, to help confirm that different cultures used this measurement and this length, but to find a physical specimen of it. So yes, needless to say, I got, uh, I got on a plane to New York and, uh, and fortunately, I have family up there. And but I got to Metropolitan Museum of New York, and as you said, if you weren't looking for this, you could and <laughs> Metropolitan. Yeah, you would walk by it because the Metropolitan Museum of New York, beautiful museum, incredible, really nice Egyptian, uh, large Egyptian uh, artifact section. But this is tucked away in a dead end hallway in a glass cabinet at the end. You would not even. Blink, but knowing that I, I was looking what I was looking for, you know, lo and behold, here is a 27 and a half inch actual physical measuring rod, not only in the hieroglyphics, you know, written, you know, about this measurement, but a physical specimen. And I, and I would like to add is what's fascinating is where it was found. It was found uh, when the, the, they had uh, an expedition in the 1920s. Uh, from uh, the Metropolitan Museum to the Pyramids of Lisht in Egypt, which are the beginning of the Middle Kingdom after the Old Kingdom. Now, the Old Kingdom is the classic Giza Plateau, mm-hmm. uh, Great Pyramid uh, Pyramids. But what the Egyptologists themselves say and what they found besides this measuring rod there was they found actually uh, uh, parts of the causeway, stone stella, casing blocks 
from the Great Pyramid and from the Giza Plateau that had been moved to this site. And they believed the reason was, was to bring that spiritual energy you know, that the Egyptians saw in the pyramids to bring that spiritual energy from the Great Pyramid and infuse it, you know, into the pyramids of Lisht, you know, bring that spiritual efficacy. And what I see is here, they brought that same unit of measurement, too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was fascinating. um, You know, when you think about, um, I mean, first of all, Thinking about measurement, you know, is, is not one um, that I really gave much attention to, <laughs> you know, quite honestly. But, you know, everywhere you turn, you know, it's like, you know, five miles here, you know, <laughs> um, you know, bumpy road ahead, you know, I mean, there's, um, but, you know, there's, um, and again, I, I really didn't uh, give, you know, much thought as, as to measurement, but it really is an underlying um, energy of flow you know, that kind of supports the society. Um, so now when, when it came to that particular measure, measurement, you know, and, and when also when we're looking at, you know, structures, we often put it in today's measurement, you know, be it metric or mm-hmm. other. Um, but, um, you know, to to recognize that there was, you know, this particular, you know, this different measurement. Um, uh, anyway, I, I just found it, interesting because it really then um, sheds a light on um, I mean, it's, it's just a, a different way of, of viewing things. Well, and you know, I understand because what you're saying is, and I heard that from a lot of people that, well, yeah, measurements, we all have measurements, you know, what's the big deal? Right. We got to, you know, we got to have measurements. We, we kind of take them for granted, you know, that, they're available, they have a purpose, but don't think much more about them. That's, and that's pretty common and, and to be expected. But what gets interesting is that going back, that's our perspective. In ancient times, mm-hmm. it was a little bit different perspective in two different aspects. And one of the aspects, you know, of, of how important measurements was, and, you know, I'll quote Sir Flinders Petrie. Now, Sir Flinders Petrie, many may know, was considered the father of modern Egyptology. I mean, he was like an icon of, of the beginning of modern uh, Egyptology, bringing the scientific method there, and he's quoted everywhere. And he talked about the importance of measurements in that he saw, you know, and, and it's funny because other people involved in that part of archaeology always quote him the same thing. It's that basically the concept of having measurements because we kind of forget because we're so used to it that the mental capacity to, you know, ancient civilizations to create the concept of measurements of numbers that they feel Mm -hmm. archeologists will tell you the concept of measurements is on the equality uh, of the mental capacity as of language and that appreciation of geometry and measurement that a culture having measurements is as important as having uh, as important as their language, and that if you find cultures using the same measurement, it's a com- very compelling evidence that they have a shared ancestry or very powerful communication with each other. And even if cultures then say use 
similar me- uh, 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 measurement systems, like doubles of it, like rather than, mm-hmm. to use mm-hmm. examples today, rather than a foot, they use a two-foot measurement, something like that, shows yeah. that they were, there were communications. Now, the other key, and the, you know, another aspect of it is that measurements is also how they connected themselves in their concept uh, to spirituality, to the world, and to the heavens above them. They, it provided uh, cosmological belief systems in connecting themselves between the uh, heaven and earth. And this isn't my talk, talking. These are archaeologists and anthropologists that are involved in the importance of ancient measurements. Uh, it helped, you know, I'll just quote briefly as, as one of them, it's in the book, but from the stones of Stonehenge, the alignments and calendars of, Me- of Mesoamerica, measurements are at the dawn of, of cosmology in, and in the sense of the concept of the universe and help them provide the beliefs about the world, material and immaterial, the visible and invisible, and how they can interact with the two. So they brought science and spirituality together. Like we're so used to today that you know, science and religion or science and spirituality are separate and, and they stay in each other's, you know, out of each other's lanes. Well, this was mm-hmm. a period where the synergy, they had brought them together and and they used them to complement each other. And we see this in this measurement because, you know, as you'd mentioned earlier and brought up that measurements, you know, old, ancient measurements, and I talked a bit of briefly, were, uh, related to body proportions, body parts, the foot. Mm-hmm. You know, we, mm-hmm. we use the foot today, 12 inches. You know, that was codified. Probably nobody, probably of 100 people, maybe one person <laughs> has a foot that's actually 12 inches long, but they, <laughs> they codified it, uh, yeah. You know, right. yeah, and said, mm-hmm. okay, this is going to be, you know, the foot 12 inches. I mean, we use the term measuring horses by hands. You know, yeah. 16, mm-hmm. 18 hand horse, you know, that's four inches per hand. But again, a codification of this measurement from body proportions. I mean, this is well known in the ancient, uh, that uh, a yard, you know, a yard, if you're looking for a yard of fabric, you'll see somebody go from basically the center of chest out to their fingertip. That's a yard. Mm-hmm. Well, that 20, and I came to the determination and uh, the evidence for it is really very, very compelling that this 27 inch unit of measurement compared what we're talking about here, about the sacred sites that was used in, to bring heaven and earth together, you know, to raise consciousness, the 27 and a half, and a half inch measurement, they determined it off the body portion of the length of the spine, you know, which makes mm-hmm. so much sense to me. Cause if you look at Eastern traditions, the Kundalini, the spiritual energy, you know, in, in their spiritual concepts came up through the spine. So what better unit of measurement and body proportion to use than, the spine 27 and a half inches. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and when you think about it, even, you know, in ancient times, I'm sure there was a, um, anyone who would look at a body afterwards, I mean, you would be able to recognize the spine, you know, and, and the idea of, um, you know, the, um, like you said, the Kundalini aspect, but they wouldn't necessarily back then. But it might be just, you know, recognizing the importance, you know, of a, a working spine as far as energy, you know. Um, so um, it would make sense that you know that that would be um, 
a source of uh, of measurement. Um, so now with, with the when they when you're talking about the spine and we're talking about while well, we're talking about the um, 27.5 um, inches um, with the uh, Egypt. After you found that measuring stick, that measuring rod in Egypt, um, what would you say is the um, – how does the measurement of, the, like, the pyramids or yeah, – I guess we would just use the pyramids. Um, how would – does that fit into that 27.5 bet cubit um, measurement versus some of the – um, other measurements, you know, that um, using other systems of measurements. It, right. In your book, you talk about some interesting numerological. Co- um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really <laughs> actually. Yeah, it, it was pretty incredible because I was like, I, I did those numbers time and time again because I was like, are, am I getting the correct results? And it was because. You know the, the the kind of proof in the pudding, so to speak, if you will, is that okay? Yeah. We we know that this is a unit of measurement used by the ancient Egyptians. So if we use that measurement, because any measurement will give you results, but if you use right. their mm-hmm. measurement, right, in the Great Pyramid, what results do you get? And that really that really got my attention because. Uh, Mainstream Egyptology will tell you the royal cubit, just over 20 inches, was used in the uh, the Great Pyramid, and, and that's the the saying. Though general consumption, it's kind of they just kind of take that and run with it. Uh, again, Sir Flinders Petrie, the uh, Petrie, the father of modern Egyptology, actually has written that. Now yeah, the evidence is that there are a whole bunch of other measurements used in it too. So. That being said, with your question, the in feet, the, the the Great Pyramid is 756 feet across each, uh, each of its four sides, which just thinking about that by itself is incredible. That's over three and a half football <laughs> fields to a side. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it, it's really incredible. Its footprint covers 13 acres to give you a, an idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when you put 27 and a half inches as their unit of measurement, uh, you get the uh, you get 330, and that caught my attention because number one that you know it, it I mean spot on 330, <laughs> not 300, right. and, you know mm-hmm. 33, not three 327, 330, and that caught my attention because especially that. I, I believe this measurement was derived off of the uh, length of the spine because your spine has 33 vertebrae. And I was like, well, that's an interesting quote unquote coincidence. And, and that mm-hmm. in, yeah. And if you go back to the Pythagoreans uh, and they only go back to about 600 BC, but about 2,500 years ago or so, you know, they talked about the importance of numbers. They saw numbers not only as a physical aspect, but there was a spiritual aspect to them by the Pythagoreans. Probably most of us know Pythagoras by the, Pythagore- the Pythagorean theorem we had to learn for geometry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but his was much deeper than that. And 
he had what they called uh, the Pythagoreans had what they called master numbers. And one of the master numbers they had, and master numbers, pure Pythagoreans were 11, 22, and 33. Nowadays, some say any double, 44, 55 are master's numbers. But purists would say 11, 22, and 33. And in the Pythagorean concept and in their concept, you know, 11 was uh, that, that kind of raising of consciousness, the awakening uh and then uh, 22 was enlightenment, uh, but enlightenment uh, with grounding because anybody that goes through kind of a raising of consciousness, it can kind of throw you for a loop until you balance mm-hmm. it with grounding. Yeah. And then 33 is what was considered that universal or God consciousness. And so here the Great Pyramid this measurement gives you that 330 and just that background of the significance, you know, in, in the cultures and the philosophy. Now the height, which is 481 feet, which again, think about this 48 story building, (laughs) uh, is the height of the great pyramid. Well, if you again, use 27 and a half inches, your result, uh, is 210 of these, you know, units of Mm -hmm. uh, spirit of light cubits, which again caught my attention because the Egyptologists themselves say that they believe because the top 25 feet, the basically the capstone of the original great pyramids missing now is that its original height, uh, that there were 210 levels or 210 tiers or courses. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Mm. Now, you know, it just happens to match what they say were how many courses they were when you do it that way. And in actual, and just it, it's related. It, it's a bit of an aside, but related. Uh, Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, that genius polymath that helped bring us calculus and concepts of gravity and just the uh, genius that he had was pretty obsessed with Solomon's temple and the great pyramids and its measurements. And one of the things he had said was that whatever the, you know, trying to figure out what unit of measurement they used, he said, whatever mm-hmm. unit of measurement was used in its height, you know, should make the height divisible by seven. So I smile because 210, well, that's three times 70 yep. or, or seven times 30. So it meets Isaac Newton's criteria on top of everything else. Uh, and again, you kind of that 33 and what pyramids were for, and this is from the Egyptologist, Dr. Mark Lerner, as an example, what pyramids were for were to unite portions of the soul, the individual portion, consciousness of your soul with the universal, with the divine portion, uh, the God consciousness. That was the purpose of pyramids to unite them. And when you, and they were the Ka and the Ba, and when you united them, they became an Aku, hence the Aku spirit of light cubit, the Aku may, the Aku, because you became a brilliant being of light by uniting heaven and earth within yourself, by uniting your consciousness with God conscious, universal consciousness, cosmic conscious, the term you like again. And then with the 33 across, and that that height and it and it, if you want it it continues and actually if you put you know the 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 height of the great pyramid 210 over the 
uh, the width 330 and bring it down to its smallest proportion. It's seven over 11. Uh, you know, again, significant numbers in, in many cultures. And if you put the four sides, each side would then be, uh, you know, the, the four sides for the perimeter, you know, over the top of the height, you would actually get 44 over 11, which is two pi, <laughs> which is two pi is what you use to determine the circumference of a circle. So, yeah, there was, there, it was very interesting yeah, wow. uh, results. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, we're about halfway through the show, Don, so I want to take just a quick break, and I do want to invite sure. listeners, if you would like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. Or for those listening live in the chat room, not feel free to pose any questions there. And then when we come back, Don, um, you, in your book you kind of – cover four geographic areas, Egypt, the Maya, North American prevalence, and Stonehenge. So we've talked a, um, a bit about Egypt now. So um, when we come back, maybe we can talk a little bit, just of the connection in, in, um, between those and maybe what you found interesting in, in your research, okay? Absolutely. Great. Okay, everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site, is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our home page. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Donald B. Carroll. He's the author of the new book, The Spirit of Light Cubit, The Measure of Humanity and Spirit. Um, again, you can find out more about Don by visiting his website, which is Donald B. Carroll, that's C-A-R-R-O-L-L, dot blogspot dot com. Okay, with that, we're back, Don. Yep. Sounds good. Okay, great. So now one of the things that um, the book, um, an important part of the book's message is the fact that, you know, the that particular unit of measurement is seen in multiple ancient cultures. So, um, in, again, we've talked about Egypt. So can you maybe give the listeners just a little bit of an idea of, how that measure kind of fit in 
um, with each of those um, particular areas. Again, your book goes into a lot of detail, you know, but I'm um, just an idea. I understand. Because it, that, that's what I found was, was really interesting. Uh, of course, sure, because the uh, – and we'll move, uh, again, the, the spine, which also is so often symbolized as the serpent serpent symbolism, again, the very straightforward in, in Eastern traditions of the Hindu and the Buddhist, the Kundalini traveling up through the avenue of the spine, the serpent energy. But it, going from Egypt, which had tons of uh, serpent imagery, uh, we'll, I'll say go over to uh, the Maya. The one interesting thing leaving Egypt, I'll say, is that the the pyramid, the Great Pyramid in particular, is you know, pyramids were seen as tombs. Myself and many other researchers disagree. Uh, I think they were used in life to to raise consciousness, to bring that universal consciousness, bring that heaven and earth together. The Giza Plateau, where the uh, Great Pyramid Inn was dedicated in the Egyptian time to Osiris, and his symbol was the Dejed, which translates as Osiris's spine. So it was pretty, uh, <laughs> a pretty you know, hidden in plain sight. But then from there, as you said, I was it was so incredible because, like you said, I went into much more detail in the book because it's just amazing how elegantly and well it fits in all these cultures. But I did, you know, from there I went to the Maya because I was like, oh, well, who are the, would it work other places? And the Maya mm-hmm. were the, I would say, second most well-known pyramid-building culture. So, you know, across the Atlantic I went, and I was very fortunate because the uh, Maya researchers had done my homework for me. Uh, you know, the Maya culture in, in southern Mexico into the Yucatan Peninsula, Honduras, Guatemala is absolutely incredible. The, the, I mean, if you think about the Egyptians and the Mayan in any of these, uh, they were not only their spiritual philosophies, but they were, enge- they were engineers. They were scientists. They were engineers and architects. You don't build things as they did that stay around thousands of years without really being very good engineers and architects and scientists. And my, my findings in there, again, I was very fortunate. The, uh, the Meyer researchers had uh, done my homework for me and had come to the uh, conclusion with a plus or minus five centimeters of trying to determine a unit of measurement they used to build their incredible cities was called a Zapal, of 55 inches and I was just kind of sat there in my research when I found this because I was like okay <laughs> that's a double double of the uh-huh. of 27 and a half inches of the spirit of light so archaeologists say that's a, you know a similar measurement that connects you know evidence of the connection of the society, of the cultures and they were using one of 55 inches uh, and which again fit one of the examples was the Kukulkan Pyramid, which is in uh, Chichen Itza in Mexico, and that's the plume serpent. Again, the serpent symbolism. And it's to understand when they were using these places to raise consciousness, it's always, you'll see the serpent is always in an upright or winged. You know, it, the concept was raising that energy up. Winged serpent, raising it up on a caducis, on wings, uh, you know, to raise, it's not the 
snake in the grass, you know, that lower serpent right. that gets you in trouble. So they even understood, <laughs> you know, that kind of concept. And the Kukulkan Pyramid, the Plume Serpent Pyramid, was exactly for that purpose. And again, the Mayan archaeologists and researchers showed how that unit of measurement worked in the Kukulkan Pyramid. And the symbolism, and, and the fact they used 55 inches made sense also, because besides the, these their pyramids being known used for rituals. They had, uh, they were truncated. You know, they were flattened top pyramids that had a small temple right. on the top of them to go up to. And uh, if your readers are listening, or excuse me, your listeners are, you know, listening, when they get a chance, go on YouTube and just in a YouTube search, put Kukulkan Pyramid Equinox because it's beautiful and incredible to watch. During the equinoxes, you know, from the sun, the 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 Kukulkan Chichen Itza pyramid was put in design in such an cre- incredible way that to create a serpent of light, there are serpent heads at the base of the north stairs. Well, as the sun comes across, the corners of the pyramid create shadows, but create shadows that, but the shadows create a serpent made of light. Hence, the light cube and everything else that goes from that lights up the heads of the uh, base of the stairs of the serpents all the way up to the top of the temple. And it's beautiful. It's incredible. The time-lapse uh, watching it is, is just it puts you in awe. But the, mm. the purpose, again, was to unite heaven and earth together, the symbolism, unite that kundalini, that serpent energy. The Maya also had a uh, – the other symbol they had was called a serpent bar, and it was a double-headed serpent bar with a serpent at the a double-headed serpent but a double-headed serpent that had a head at each end and that and by the Mayan archaeologists that serpent rep, that double-headed serpent bar represented an axis mundi which is a latin term uh that archaeologists like to use that means it's this place that brings heaven and earth together just like pyramids in Egypt were known to be axis mm-hmm. mundis so was this and the serpent bar brought heaven and earth together inside with the holder in his in their consciousness and i was like of course double serpent that's why it's 55 that's why they're using 55 inches versus 27 and a half so you see uh just very briefly the same and i have the pictures in the book the same concept in the maya and then if you go up you know if you go up from north from the maya you know to the ancestral pueblin that you'd noticed noted I mean, and that was kind of the the last the the last stimulus for me to get to publish and finish this book because this was only in the last year that the Mayan I've had my independent research, but the the ancestral Maya the who ancestors today we would know as the Hopi and the Zuni, but the ancestral uh, Pueblins, uh, the the archaeologists and researchers of them have just come to the conclusion that the unit of measurement they use for their great kivas and their great uh, in their great houses uh, and they used uh, Pacami, uh, a beautiful site in Casa Grandes in North Mexico uh, for the, for their study and they came to the conclusion that the ancestral Pueblins used a unit of measurement of 27 and a half inches exactly mm. the same not a double like the Maya but exactly like the Egyptian right, one right. but Again, yeah, and and on top of that, we know the ancestral Pueblin and the Maya had 
trade and connection with each other. Very clear in their sights uh, between that. And uh, it works. And I had already been spending a lot of time out in Chaco Canyon. And, and you know, with the problems we have mm-hmm. traveling internationally right now and with all that's going on, folks, yeah. New Mexico uh, and Colorado, Chaco Canyon, uh, Aztec National in New Mexico, Mesa Verde in Colorado are just incredible, incredible sites right here in the United States of uh, incredible cultures and, and beautiful sites and cliff dwellings and great houses and kivas that uh, we can all visit. But that's with, with this confirmation of what I had already found was the ancient Pueblans used it for sacred sites too. Even, you know, we, they didn't have a, a written language. They had petroglyphs and, and images and symbolism of some, but not language, but from the, from the Hopi and Frank Waters in his book of this Hopi talks of how what's passed down to them from, uh, you know, their ancestors of the ancient Pueblans, the descendants say is their history. One of their creation stories is how their spirit was, was brought into physicality with a, um, with a, an axis just in a center, just like the earth. And, but for human beings, for the, for the Hopi, it was their spinal column and that this spinal column, and I'm quoting Frank Waters, was that it tuned them to the sound of the universe and to the voice of their creator through the fontanel for the top of their head, the kopavi, as they called it. So you see the same tradition of, of the spine, that there are these uh, uh, primordial sound centers and vibratory centers that went up through the spine, through the top of the head that connected to them to their creator and led them to the fourth world by their tradition. We're in the fourth world. So you have the same unit of measurement, the same philosophy, and the Maya also, excuse me, not the Maya, the ancestral Puebla also had the uh, concept of the plumed serpent. They would sometimes call it the horned serpent, but again, plumed or upright, that uh, whereas it was Kukulkan for the Mayan, Quetzalcoatl for the Aztecs. The, the ancestral Pueblan called this plumed serpent the Boholinkanga. So you see the same unit of measurement. Like I said, everybody's looking for Indiana yeah. Jones in that temple, but <laughs> you follow this unit of measurement and what it signified. Uh, it was, yeah. you know, from Egypt to the Maya. Uh, the measurement, and again, this is what the archaeologists say. Yeah. That means they're very compelling up there. It was just incredible. And then from there, you know, we can go back across, you know, back across the pond, since we'll be heading to, to the British Isles, as they say, uh, to Stonehenge in Europe. And to me, in another way, Stonehenge really is very compelling about the purpose in this unit of measurement. It, it, when you get to Stonehenge, and, and it, it's an incredible sight, you come up on it. I mean, you could be driving along the Salisbury Plain, rolling hills, and all of a sudden, it's there in the, in, in the middle of this plain. This incredible, yeah. You know, I'm sure we, many of us, have, not all, have seen that those like iconic pictures of it. Well, I was like, and it's known as again another site that's an axis Monday that brings heaven and earth together. You know, it marks solstices, it marks equinoxes, it marks moon phases, mm-hmm. uh, lunar phases. And I was like, well, what about could the unit of measurement, you know, be used there, and how? Well, Stonehenge is circles. 
You have the stone circles. You, you know, we see usually right. those big stone circle, which is the second actually stone circle, the Saracen stones. Well, there's an internal circle before them, the blue stones. And there's actually the remains and, and the archaeologists at Stonehenge have marked them of, of circles of, of post holes for circles made of posts that go out from there. Well, it took a long time, but I was able to finally get a, a survey plan of Stonehenge and accurate measurements of it. And using 27 and a half inches, this is the one that it just really what we're talking about. When you measure the first circle, the diameter, the blue stone, with using 27 and a half inches, because it's like it's approximately 76 feet, you know, in our foot measurement, but 27 and a half units, mm -hmm. you get it becomes its diameter is 33 spirit of light units across. <laughs> We're back to that 33. And then wow. the Saracen stone circle, its diameter is 44 spirit of light mm -hmm. units, <laughs> you know, and then the, the Z post hole circle diameter is 55. And then the, and I'm using how they've surveyed the uh, Stonehenge and the Y post hole circles its diameter is 77. So you have 33. Mm. The diameters yeah. of the circles of Stonehenge are 33, 44, 55, and 77. And just for your listeners, because they're probably doing the same thing I did, what happened to 66? <laughs> you know, 66 is actually there. Uh, it, it's in the book, yeah. you can, and I think you can find it online too. You'll see the uh, survey plan of Stonehenge. Uh, between the Y and Z circle, uh, circles uh, marked is a, is a dotted line. And what it says is between those two, unexcavated post holes. Since they haven't done mm. the excavations of them yet, they don't have the diameter. But I'd bet my bottom dollar it's 66. Yeah, so, so. so that was incredible. I mean, mm. that you would get that. And then what they've recently found out with Stonehenge, and this is like in the last 10 years, and they're still doing tons of research, they had noticed some researchers, some archaeologists still working in there because they're still finding things, had noticed even with parts of Stonehenge missing and parts of it fallen down, there was an interesting resonance, an interesting uh, resonance and sound return inside of Stonehenge when you were working in there, if you were clapping your hands or happened to be pounding something. But in its condition, they really couldn't test it. Very long story short, because it's a very odd story why, but... In 1923, there is a full-size replica of the stones, not the post holes. There are a full-size replica of Stonehenge in the United States. It's in the state of Washington, about three hours south of Seattle, Seattle, in the town of Maryhill. There is a full-size replica. So they went there where they could have a full-size, fully complete replica to test the sounds that were happening. And they found, this is, their, this is their conclusions, it's just incredible. They found that, that clapping or chanting or, or drum beating at a certain cadence, you know, at a certain speed, entrains the brain. We know that you know, certain sounds mm -hmm. and actually light flashes can entrain the brain. Mm -hmm. Basically, what now is called brain, brain hemi-sinking puts you in a meditative state. And what they mm -hmm. found was that if you were in the center of Stonehenge by the altar stone, it would put you in an alpha state, pretty much a, a standard meditative state. But if you were near the outside circle of stones, it would put you in a theta state, which is a very deep me meditation state of, again, raising consciousness. And they believe 
uh, it was because the high priest would lead it from the center in an alpha state, not to be get completely zoned out, and the right. uh, initiates mm-hmm. would go through it into a theta, into a deeper state, to connect that consciousness, that heaven and earth together. And the other study was that just recently completed. Other researchers had noticed that, in the, particularly the Priscilla, the blue stone, the first circles, that they seemed almost to to be tuned, to be tuned to musical notes. And the researchers just finished about five years ago, and they have concluded that the stones at Stonehenge were purposely dressed, you know, and carved, you know, and, you know dressed and, and, and shaped to create certain notes, which helps confirms that this was a site to raise that consciousness like the other sites. So very wow. a, a whirlwind tour. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's that is, it's wonderful to to recognize um, that. Now, um, yeah, and, and I was just you know fascinated with the reading. I learned so much, and and the one thing I like about your book too is that you have some uh, reading references for people to to look further if they want, and um, and I, I always enjoy that of looking you know looking further into things, even though your book is. Uh, very well referenced, you know, as far as um, you know, <laughs> where you got the information. Um, again, I, I appreciate that very much. You know, that shows a lot of work. Um, but we're, we're down to like the last uh, seven minutes or so. Um, there was just two things I wanted to cover. One would be, well, let me let me cover this one first. Um, now we were talking about the the you know two twenty seven point five inches, um, recognizing that 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 was used in all of these particular sites. Do you think that incorporating that into our physical, if we have the option of creating an environment for ourselves, that incorporating that, or even even in architecture, incorporating that particular um, unit of measure when it comes to creation, do you think that that would be it's kind of like feng shui. I look at it as like yes. feng shui for the architecture. <laughs> you know, is, is that? Do you think that that would uh, still? I would carry a resonance. Well, I would. I would say there's something to that in a couple of different angles. Uh, because the yes, because these sites were built, and the site, all these sites really have something very often to do with sound, as we can see, even the Great Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's different issues, but the thing is that the fact that if you Feng Shui, you know, like you said this and did this purposely because it's there's symbolism to it too, why they're using that, that I think knowing you did it for that reason also then heightens mm. the awareness within yourself because yeah. ultimately, ultimately we have 27, the spine within us. We are the ultimate connection of heaven and earth. We are the ultimate axis Monday yeah. ourselves. But all these places were places to help you uh, reach that point where we're to facilitate doing what you can, you know, inside yourself already. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're down to the last few minutes. Now, at the end of your book, you, you have um, uh, like an epilogue where you talk about Edgar Casey. So there's an Edgar Casey connection <laughs> to this story. And um, again, my listeners will love it. Um, I mean, that's just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by the guy. Um, so, and I can understand you wanting to present all of the information in your book presented up front with all of the um, all of the references and the cooperate, cooperation. Um, but 
Edgar Casey. Tell us just kind of quickly how he fits into this picture. Well, I, I became a, a member of the uh, the ARE, the Association of Research and Enlightenment, which is uh, the organization based on the Edgar Casey readings. He was that psychic from uh, he passed in the 1940s, but his readings, which were his, you know, all the questions asked to him as a psychic when he would go into that state. Uh, the number one, what drove me to it, it, and that's what that epilogue is about. It goes in my personal journey there, but the spiritual philosophy that comes out of the Casey readings. Uh, and actually there's, uh, there's actually a section called this. It's incredible. I mean, to me, it was the most cognizant and sense-making. If, if you believe in our consciousness and our higher consciousness and our journey, it, it was incredible. And then, and actually it was because he also did a lot of readings on ancient civilizations and ancient cultures, uh, it was in one of those readings where he talked about uh, a unit of measurement used in ancient Egypt, and he was talking 10,000 BC. And again, the evidence for this measurement goes back 20,000 BC. But uh, and he meant, and he said the unit of measurement is 27 and a half inches. And when I first saw that, I was thinking kind of like you, like oh, it's a measurement. But I was also like, well, that should be easy to prove whether that's true or not. And that was mm-hmm. led to that rabbit hole. Uh, that had <laughs> 17 years later showed that because the reading that it was in, he was talking about a temple in Egypt called the Temple Beautiful, that its purpose was it was gathering people from all nations of the earth at, of 10,000 BC of, uh, of every land, which this unit of measurement I found archaeologically fits that criteria and that it was about raising consciousness, that to bring that universal consciousness into people. Because our true journey, really, our, our true journey is not our physical journey. It is our, our con- journey of consciousness, you know, our journey of spirituality, however term you want to use. That is our true journey. And this is what this reading talks about, is that this time, and that, this, that mentions this measurement was what was trying to be done 12,000 years ago to get data correctly. And the fact that then I find all this firm, compelling archaeological mm-hmm. evidence confirming just that, just it was stunning because everyone can have their spiritual philosophies and we, right. you, could, you mm-hmm. could, and to each their own. And, but I find again, for me, the, the Casey one so cognizant and so, well-formed and knitted. It just so resonates with me. But then to find this incredible archaeological evidence around the world, uh, to me, was just so confirming and compelling, not only personally, but as someone that's interested in these ancient mysteries. And that this is, this isn't, uh, you know, this is, yes, intuition and and inspiration, but it's also hard archaeological research that confirms and, and, and really brings yeah. what we're talking about here, science and spirituality together, brings that heaven and earth together that just I just find so beautifully and, as I call it, so elegant. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading the book. I mean, there, I learned a lot <laughs> by reading it. <laughs> and, and, it, you know, and it, it's, it's fun because now, I mean, truly, I'll, when it comes to measurement, I will <laughs> – think differently you know and, and yeah. um, you know i mean no i mean really you know it's, it's 
um, not necessarily <laughs> try to institute 27.5 here and there, but just the idea of measurement, recognizing measurement for what it is. Well, you know, yeah, and, and exactly from its purpose. You'll never look mm-hmm. at it the same way again, you know, the body right. proportions. Because think about that, them using it and being able to use it as a, a, a time pendulum, a pendulum, it worked to measure time. It worked to measure space yeah. buildings. It also worked as their spiritual symbolism of connecting heaven and earth together and higher consciousness. It was such an elegant symbolic yeah. measurement to bring their science and spirit together that I thought was just so incredible. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it was great. I have to, I have to admit when I was reading the book and I got to the part talking about the forearm, I just chuckled because I can count many times when I have not had a ruler that I needed to measure something, and I used my forearm. <laughs> I mean, it was like, no, I mean, yep. it was like, I mean, even to the point of, you know, making a little uh, ink, you know, line on my, you know, from my finger to the, you know, where it measured out. But um, anyway, sure. I, I just kind of got chuckled with that. But, well, thank you, Don, <laughs> for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you, Robert. This was an absolute pleasure. And, you know, I I hope your listeners enjoy it. Great. Thank you. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Donald B. Carroll. We have been talking about his new book, The Spirit of Light Cubit, The Measure of Humanity in Spirit. And, again, you can find out more about Donald by visiting his website, which is Donald B. Carroll, and that's the two R's. At Donald B. C. A. R. R. O. L. L. dot blogspot. dot com, and uh, do check it out. He's got a lot of um, interesting posts and archives for you to go and, and check out. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember. Our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at ByteRadio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.